Thanks, Mike. Good day, everybody. Good to be back again. Always love coming to Monty. It was that man's fault many, many, many years ago. How many years ago, Garth? Yeah, that long, eh? <laughs> oh, I know it. Yeah, David, I've got to correct you. It goes way back before Garth. Does it really? Does it really? You were coming for the month of May when, when he was just a little boy. Fair dick. It was 1873. I knew it was a long time. Uh, well, anyway, whatever, it's great to be back again with you and um, look forward to just a few minutes of sharing uh, around local mission. Now, every time I come here, it seems to be a Mission Sunday and I'm going through my notes and thinking, what have I said to these people already about local mission and what have I got left to say? So some of this might be a repeat. But I do want to talk to you about the order of the ordinary. See, I even got the T-shirt made. That's, not, that's pretty good, isn't it? Because the order of the ordinary is the greatest mission field on earth. It's you and me, ordinary people, going out into the world and being Jesus as we go into different contexts. And that's what it's all about. Most of life is ordinary. I think I've told you this one before. I was talking to a long-haul pilot uh, many years ago now, and he was describing what it was like to fly from Australia to America and he talked about being in the cockpit and he said, uh, you know what, there's moments of, uh, of, of sheer terror and there's moments of sheer exhilaration and there's hours and hours and hours of ordinariness. <laughs> and I thought, gee, that's a pretty good, pretty good example of what life's all about, actually. I didn't want to talk to him about the moments of sheer terror. I <laughs> didn't want to know about that at all. But I thought, yeah, you know, that's what life is like. Because as we live our daily lives, there are moments of sheer exhilaration, you know, and, and sometimes they come more often, more often than not. I, I had a moment, I don't know if it was exhilaration, but a beautiful moment on arriving here this morning. I was welcomed by a little girl at the door, had the door open. And was it one of your kids? No? Sorry? Okay. Well, she did a fantastic job and she welcomed me. That's that's a moment of maybe not exhilaration, but a beautiful moment in life, and uh, and and life has its moments of sheer terror or, or real disappointment, you know, low points, because that's what life is about. Unfortunately, oftentimes God is sort of relegated to the moments of exaltation. Wow, isn't God great? Sort of idea and to the, the times of despair and loneliness and disappointment. You know, God help me, I'm, I don't know if I can cope with this. But that leaves out all the hours and hours and hours of what most of our lives are during everyday experiences, times of ordinariness. I think Jesus talked about this when he talked about the parables of the seeds. He gives three parables of the seeds in Mark chapter 4. Now, the first one is Mark chapter 4, verses 3 to 9, where Jesus says, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it didn't have a root, it withered. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. And then he said, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Now, there's a lot in that parable, of course, a lot of great teaching. I noticed one of our songs was based upon, at least the first verse was based upon that parable. And, uh, and we all know it so well. But one of the things that I haven't heard, I don't think I've heard people preach on out of that, is that this is a teaching to, sh- to sow indiscriminately. The sower goes out to sow and he's, you know, you've all seen the artwork, <laughs> just sowing everywhere. And it falls on pathways and it falls on rocky soil and it falls on thorny soil and it falls on good soil. It's indiscriminate. And you know what? That's what the sowing of the seed is for us. We are to live lives that scatter the seeds of love, that scatter the seeds of grace everywhere, every day, no matter what the response is. And we're not taught in this parable to work out where's the good soil and I'm going to put effort into that. No, we're told to go out and sow the seed. And all the ordinary aspects of everyday life sow the seed, the seed of love, loving people, showing grace and kindness and mercy to people. And there's going to be very different responses. Some people won't even take notice of the love and the grace. In fact, some people will will ridicule it and say we're so naive or foolish or whatever, whereas others at the other end of it, that'll just sink deeply into that person's life. The second parable in Mark chapter 4 about seeds is in verses 26 to 29. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Now again, it teaches many things, this parable, but one of the things that it teaches is that um, the, the farmer, the sower, had no idea how the change from ordinary to extraordinary comes about. The sowing of the seed is a pretty ordinary thing. This seed is small, and, it's, and that'll come up in the next parable, um, and, and it's, it, it's sown... And then the sower goes to bed <laughs> and he rises and he goes back to bed and rises and goes back to bed and magically <laughs> this extraordinary thing happens that it starts to grow, it starts to blossom, it starts to become something that later on can be harvested. And he has no idea how. And you know, that's what it's like for us when we're sowing seed. We're going out and indiscriminately sowing the seeds of love and of grace and kindness we're sowing the seeds of, of, of Christ-likeness. We're, we're, we're being, as somebody has said, God with skin on out there in the world, in all of the ordinariness of the day, and things happen. Things happen. And sometimes we find out about it. Sometimes we don't. But things happen, and we think, "Whoa, you know, how'd that happen? How'd that? How'd that, how did that affect that person's life?" And it's God who was at work here. We're called to sow, and we sow in all the ordinariness of our lives, and God brings about the extraordinary stuff from little things. 
big things grow. We just have to learn to let God do that work. We can have the best programs. We can have the best people. And what's been presented to us today sounded like, to me, sounded like good programs for the, that you've got and, and, and good people involved. But it's God who is going to bring about the changes in the kids and the changes in the youth group and, and the changes in, in that the missionaries overseas are, are working with those people. It's God who is going to bring the growth. And sometimes it will really surprise us. God will say, you know what, you had a good program there and you had really good people, but look what I can do. <laughs> and that's God at work. He's bringing about remarkable things. And, and we don't get it. We don't get it. Had that happen? Well, this is God. At work. Sometimes we didn't plan for it that way. We have no understanding of how it happened, but it happened. That's what Jesus is saying in this parable about the seed. The third one is from Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. And Jesus says, How can we illustrate the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? Well, it's like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when so, and it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Jesus, in this third parable on seeds in Mark chapter 4, taught that the seeds that we plant are insignificant in size. They're insignificant. In and of themselves, they're insignificant in size. But they're extraordinary in impact. The impact of that little seed, that little mustard seed has, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, is extraordinary. You plant a seed of love or of grace or of mercy, of kindness. You plant these into people's lives in the workplace and over the back fence and in the grocery store and, and, and when you're lining up for to check out your groceries. and You plant little seeds... And these little mustard seeds, and really they go unnoticed, but they can be extraordinary in their results. I want to tell you three stories from my own ministry that came to mind when I was preparing this about this sort of stuff. Most of you will know that for 25 years I was involved at Kingsley College, which was the um, Wesleyan Methodist Theological Hall, and... Um, one of those students uh, during those years was a guy by the name of Cedric, and he's um, he's a Sri Lankan church leader nowadays, and he was a student there in the college for four years back in the 80s. I, I had Cedric in many classes where we talked about the importance of servant leadership. You know, it was one of the key things that uh, Kingsley stood for. The, servanthood of, of leadership and we talked about that in many of the classes where I was the teacher and he was the student the type of Jesus, the type of leadership that Jesus lived and the type that he called us to as his followers and so when he sent me a message recently via Facebook thanking me for teaching him about being a servant I was really encouraged as I thought about all those classes being worth it you know all that preparation and teaching and all that time spent in teaching about servant leadership. I thought, oh, good, you know, it was really worth it. But then he went on in this Facebook post or message to me to tell me a story that illustrated how he learned it from me. 
He told me that when he first came to the college, he noticed that I was doing the dishes at a college dinner. And he thought that if the principal could do the dishes, then he could too. And he told me he still makes a point of doing the dishes and has taught his sons the importance of dishes and servant leadership. Some of you men are looking very um, discouraged right now. And uh, <laughs> this, um, this, this reminded me when I read that story how important our example is that if we don't live what we're teaching, um, the life application won't happen. Seeds are sown in ordinary ways, but God did something wonderful with it. I had no idea. Don't even remember it, you know. But he saw me doing the dishes and he thought, ah, that's what this servant stuff is all about. And it made a difference in his life. And years later, he writes me this message and he's passed it on to his sons who one of them has just become a local pastor. The second story is about a guy called Martin, another past student from Kingsley. He was uh, being commissioned as a local pastor a local church, in in, in a local church for a pastoral role. And he asked me if I would preach at the service. I was really thrilled to have that privilege because I I thought very highly of Martin. And uh, so I prepared a message that, um, with that importance in mind, I wanted this to be special uh, to uh, to help Martin to feel Uh, really good about being commissioned into pastoral ministry. And so I preached my heart out. As a part of the service, Martin got up onto the stage and he led the church in prayer. And as he was walking past me off the stage, I grabbed his arm and said, you did really well. And then I preached my sermon after that. Years later, Martin and I were in a small group together and he commented on how I had encouraged him so much at the commissioning service. My mind went to that impassioned sermon that I had prepared and preached. But then I listened to the story that he was telling the others in the group about my arm grab and encouraging words, and he said it made him feel like everything was going to be okay. I asked him if he remembered what I'd preached on. (laughs) And he said, did you preach that day? (laughs) Uh, You've got to put ego aside in this stuff, guys. And then he said, oh, yeah, you did too. But that arm grab and those words just meant so much to me, mate. He said, seeds sown. Small seeds in the everydayness of life. Stuff that we don't even remember. We don't even know we're doing it at the time, maybe. And God takes them and does extraordinary things through them. It's incredible. That's what these parables are teaching. Third and last one. A guy called Peter. Peter wanted to know if Jesus really did make a difference in people's lives. He used to come to a coffee shop that Debbie and I were running in the 1970s down St Kilda Way. And he was a bit of a wild man from the streets and we loved him to bits. He started following Jesus as I prayed with him on the shop floor of a printing works that he ran. He was the real deal and he had found Jesus to be the real deal too. 
Pete and I are still friends today over 45 years later and he still loves Jesus. And he told me recently that he used to watch Debbie and me to see if we were different from the other couples that he knew. He said he noticed how we treated each other with respect and clearly loved one another, qualities that he hadn't seen in other relationships that he was familiar with. He thought that if Deb and I were just like everyone else that he knew in relationships, then he would know Jesus didn't make any difference at all. But he saw a difference, and it was that that caused him to give Jesus a go and see what he could do with his life. People are watching. People are watching. Those people at work, those people who know us in the neighbourhood, the parents of the kids that come along to kids club and youth group, the kids themselves, the young people themselves, people are watching. We don't often know it. They're watching whether or not you do the dishes. (laughs) They're watching how we treat one another in the most significant of our relationships. Does Jesus really make a difference? Is this for real? You know, we can preach our hearts out. But if he doesn't make a difference in our lives and people are watching, well, there's no integrity there. Planting seeds really does make a difference. And God does some wonderful things with them. Most of life is ordinary. And it's in those ordinary things that God makes a difference in people's lives. I want to finish off with a story I wrote called A Day in the Life of Mary Smith. Mary regards herself as an ordinary person who loves following Jesus but sometimes has a hard time doing very well. Or at least that's what she thinks. Mary's the mother of three school-aged children and is divorced. She's part of the local church and is known as a caring and generous person with a gift for listening and hospitality. She says she's nothing special and wishes she could be more effective in her discipleship by becoming an overseas missionary or a youth leader or something like that. Mary has a full-time job in the local supermarket and is liked by her boss, her work colleagues and many of the customers. She gets on well with everyone except for old Mrs Thorpe who has been working the cash register for a very long time and who often gets grumpy with anyone who comes to work happy. She was hard to take. Mary's been praying about her attitude to Mrs Thorpe, but it doesn't seem to be working so far. Mary lives in a rented unit in a quiet neighbourhood. When the divorce went through, that was due to domestic violence, she lost everything because she couldn't afford a lawyer, and she and her kids live in this smallish three-bedroom unit. She never complains about it, but she once told her Bible study group that she sometimes wonders why God allowed her to go through all that trauma. She prays that God will one day make it possible for her to get a house with more space for her kids and a backyard where she can do some gardening. She loves gardening. God hasn't granted that desire yet, and although Mary has times of disappointment with God's apparent silence, she accepts her lot and still trusts in God's love. Mary's a friendly person and has a lot of friends, but she still finds herself getting lonely wishing she had a loving partner and a more meaningful job. Sometimes she hears stories at church, either from visiting missionaries or from preaching by the pastor, that make her wish she could do something meaningful for God. 
She once heard a sermon where it was said that you need to leave your full-time work and get involved in God's work by going into full-time ministry that really glorified God. She wanted to glorify God but decided she would just have to be a second-rate disciple because she had too many responsibilities at home. Besides, a lot of those full-time mission organisations wouldn't accept her because she was divorced. She went home pretty discouraged that day. Those stories from Africa sound so exciting and she thinks that's where the real work of God is done. Or maybe in preaching sermons or playing in the worship band or feeding the homeless or something like that. But she must put up with what she considers an ordinary mediocre life. In many ways it makes her look forward to heaven. But wait, let's have a look at a day in the life of Mary Smith. Mary wakes at 6am so she can get a coffee and have a quiet time before the kids get up. She feels blessed by the portion of scripture she studied and finds herself humming a psalm as she goes in to wake the kids up. As they get ready for school, she puts breakfast on the table and makes them some sandwiches for lunch. One of the kids tells her she doesn't want to go to school that day and she breaks into tears. Mary takes her daughter into the lounge room and cuddles her, asking her what the problem is. At first she doesn't want to talk about it, but as Mary strokes her daughter's hair and speaks softly to her, Mary hears about a bullying incident and that her daughter is afraid of getting bullied again. They talk about ways of handling bullying and Mary assures her daughter that she would talk to the teacher about it if necessary. Her daughter decides she can face school and leaves with a sense of courage about praying with her mum before she left. And Mary walks through the park to get to work. She's early and so decides to grab a coffee from the mobile cafe. She smiles at the man in the caravan and they chat briefly about the beautiful weather. Mary mentions that weather like this makes her appreciate God even more. And the coffee, coffee dealer laughs. You don't still believe in the old boy in the sky, do you? He says. To which Mary says, nah, I believe in a God who created all this and is right here, right now. Don't, don't you? He sputters something out as Mary heads for the park bench to enjoy her coffee. Some kids ride by on their bikes and say hi to her. She recognises them as friends of one of her children and smiles, telling them to have a good day at school. One of them has been in a bit of trouble with the law recently and he was able to confide in Mary as to what was going on. Mary had been a huge help and a good friendship had developed. Work was pretty ordinary. Customers that she smiled at and tried to chat to as they went through her aisle, calling them by name whenever she could. Work colleagues who were mostly bored through the day with whom she tried to be an encourager. And then there was Mrs Thorpe. Mary just tried to avoid her as much as she could. Lunchtime was interesting though. Mary was sitting in the break room eating a lunch when Sarah came in. She'd been crying and Mary asked what had happened. Sarah told her she'd had a run-in with Mrs Thorpe and with everything else going on in her life, it was just too much. Mary listened well, reassuring Sarah that she was not stupid for being upset, as Sarah had thought. They chatted for a while about how life can get really hard sometimes and that when it all piles up, it gets overwhelming. Mary felt like bagging Mrs Thorpe, but she kept her speech to encouraging Sarah, praying silently for self-control along the way. Mary told Sarah that she would ask God to give Sarah a sense of peace through all her anxieties and Sarah went back to work saying she felt a lot better just for talking it out and knowing there was someone at work who understood. 
She thanked Mary for her promise to pray. And Mary quietly thanked God for his help. When Mary arrived home, she saw an ambulance outside a neighbor's home. This is where an older couple by the names of Roy and Ruth lived. And she saw Roy standing in the front yard as the ambulance pulled away. And she asked him what was happening. Roy told Mary that Ruth had had another fall and she was taken to hospital for observation. He wanted to travel with her but was not able to because of COVID restrictions. Mary told him she was cooking lasagna for tea and that she'd make him enough for him, enough for him as well. And she also offered to visit him after tea to help him work through the technology of FaceTime so he could catch up with Ruth. Later that night, the kids were in bed, the dishes were done, Roy had successfully connected with Ruth on FaceTime and Mary was sitting watching TV before getting into bed. <clears throat> During one of the commercials, she reflected on her rather full but what she called ordinary day and caught herself telling God that one day she'd join a mission organisation so she could do some really important work for him. <laughs> and she fell asleep. You know what I long for? I long for Mary Smith to know that she's a missionary in the order of the ordinary. That's what I long for. The most spectacular and effective mission order there is in the world. More world changing than anything else. The order of the ordinary. And Mary, Saint, Mary Smith is a saint within that order. And so are you. So are you. I pray that, I, I, I wish and I pray for you that she would understand how essential all the things she did during her day, all the ordinary stuff was God's stuff. It's mission accomplished for that day. When Debbie and I moved into the city from the campus of Kingsley College, moved into the CBD in 1999, and you, you people were a part of that journey as I shared all of that and you prayed with me and, and uh, every year when I came back you asked me about how it was going in there and my time on council and all of that, you were a big part of it and I appreciate you as my family very much in that. But when we moved into the city, into that little apartment in the CBD, people said, what are you going in for? You're going to plant a church. And we'd say, we don't know. We're going in there to make some friends and see what God does with that. Boy, did he do some stuff with it. The planting of seeds, you know. And some remarkable, extraordinary stuff came out of that. But I, we didn't have a clue. I've shared with you before, and I'll close with this that one night soon after moving into the city I was sitting late at night up in Parliament Gardens up the top of the city and looking out all over the buildings and the, 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 the lights and everything it just looked magnificent it was beautiful I was praying for the city and I, I felt that God was saying to me you see all those buildings you see all those lights you see all of that city I have my people in every one of those places. There are people working there. There are people living there. There are people watching movies there. There are people eating there. I have my people, my mission force, <laughs> in every one of those places. 
and they're strategic for the mission that I have for the city. That I love that song about there are greater things yet to be done in the city. But you know what happens when we sing a song like that? Oftentimes we think of major programs and, and, and big churches and all that sort of stuff. And that's not God's plan, I don't believe. I believe that God's plan is the Mary Smiths of the world to be planted in every one of those places. And I believed, I, I, I felt that God was saying to me, you know what, one of the tragedies is they don't realise how important they are. They don't realise how strategic they are just by being there as God was skin off. And I felt very, very strongly. We, we lived in the city for 11 years and felt very strongly that a part of what God would have me to do there over those years ahead was to encourage his people to understand how strategic they are in his mission in the city of Melbourne. And so I'm reminding you, as I've reminded, as I've told you many times, that you are so important. You're so important. The programs that you have are precious. They're wonderful. And even within those programs, it's the ordinary stuff that you do that will make a difference. (laughs) But even over and above that, just the way that you live Christ, that your God would skin on in the everyday opportunities that you have, that's what it's all about. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because you're really an important part of his mission. You don't have to go and start up anything special. You just live your life of integrity and share Jesus in every way that you do. Thanks, man.